morning. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians. That's in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 26. This is our Dare You to Move 2.5 teaching series. Wrapping it up this morning, this is it. Five uh, weeks, and we're talking about glorifying. Uh, next week, we'll talk about community, connecting. The following week, we're going to talk about revival. What is revival? If you need your heart revived, that would be a good one to come to. We're going to talk about what, that, what happens when our hearts are revived and vital, vitally in touch with, with Christ. And then we're going to kick off a new teaching series after that on prayer, experiencing awe and intimacy with God. I'm looking forward to that. And so we wrap it up this morning. You can follow along on your notes as we review a little bit of what we've been talking about. Second Chronicles 16.9 is the theme verse here of this campaign for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is fully devoted to him. I love that verse. That's a great verse. We're not overcoming God's reluctance. We're laying hold of his willingness. Do you have any idea what he wants to do in and through your life. That's what it's saying. It's an invitation. And of course, that comes as a, as a byproduct of being fully devoted to him. DBCC is built with this underlying conviction. Whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the church has a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. I've never been more convinced of that than, than today, than now. Uh, Romans 1.16 is a, is a wonderful verse that really talks about that. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Here's the campaign purpose, twofold, to inspire Desert Breeze family to be more fully devoted to Christ and taking steps of faith in our 5G discipleship process. That's what this whole series has been, about, been all about, five weeks, 5G process. You can uh, investigate that in more detail through our game of life. We invite you to take that class. We offer it a couple times a year. We take anywhere from about 50 to 100 folks through that class every year. And then the second part of this campaign purpose is together raising money for the purpose of development enhancement of our church home to its fullest capacity to better reach seekers and build believers to full devotion to Christ. Uh, since we've moved in here, the most successful year in the history of Desert Breeze, just this last year, we're busting at the seams. We're needing to utilize every... Uh, 36, 3,700 square foot of this place, and so we're looking at expanding, expanding this and expanding all of our kids' classes and upgrading there. So that's what that's about. I'm going to invite Pastor Scott up. He's going to talk a little bit more about uh, this on our final week. Two weeks ago, we talked about it, so he'll give you a few more details, and then we'll dive into our study. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. So I want you to listen to what I have to say through the lens of what Ray just said that God's looking to and, through, to and fro. He's looking for people whose hearts are fully towards him so he can exercise his power on their behalf. So this Dairy to Move 2.5, <clears throat> just like the first phase, is a God-sized task. So let me put that into perspective for you. There's a difference in the timelines between our first phase and, and this phase. Our first phase included uh, phase one and part of phase two. This is why this is called 2.5. But to put it into perspective for you, our phase one was to position us to be able to buy, I'll call it a home, and, um, and so the banks would take us seriously and that we could get uh, a loan responsibly. And that began in 2004, and our goal was $1.5 million, and um, it was a three-year goal, but we took nine years 
to raise almost a million dollars and we had no idea it was going to be here. In fact, we didn't know where it was. We were kind of uh, promoting a, con uh, a concept, but we were showing our hearts fully devoted towards God and, and he, he, he moved uh, in our behalf. And there's no way we would have imagined that we would be right here on I-17 with this beautiful building in this beautiful place. And so uh, we had plans, but God had a different plan. And so it was nine years. This time, phase 2.5, we are trying to raise another 1.5 million to redevelop and newly developed uh, uh, this 36,000 square feet. Uh, we still need to raise 1.5 million, uh, but we wanna raise that in three years, not nine. And by the way, we're gonna start spending that money or we, our plans are to start spending that money in one year. So is that a God-sized task? Let me tell you something, if it was up to us, and I mean us collectively, it would fail. I'd say, hey, let's try another nine years, and maybe we'll get there. But no, this is a God-sized task, and so when we make a commitment to a God-sized task, we have to do that responsibly. And the reason why we put this in your hands, this isn't a marketing thing for you to make some emotional decision and uh, based on reason, looking at your checkbook and saying, I guess I could do that. No, this has steps in it that we want you to get with the creator of the heavens and the earth and ask him, bear your heart to him and say, God, I want you to use me, but I don't know how you wanna use me, so tell me how you want to use me and pray and tell, have him put it on your heart on how to be responsible in your giving. And it won't be by, revel, uh, by reason, it will be by revelation, because if it's not a sacrifice to you, it's probably not by revelation, because our daddy owns, a cat, owns the cattle on a thousand hills, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He does. And so it's not up to us, it's what he wants to do in and through us, and in that we have to make a sacrifice. And so it is a God-sized task, so you need, to, you need to sacrifice in a way that trusts him and doesn't trust, oh, my checkbook doesn't say I can do that. Now, you have to balance that, of course, with being a good steward of what he's given you, but you have to step out in faith, too. So it's, it's a really hard thing to do, and when we have hard things to do, who do we look to? God. That's what it's about. So when we make this thing responsibly, we ought not to just look at our checkbooks and go, gosh, I just don't see how it's gonna happen. We've talked about it in this series that God gives us three things, time, talents, and treasures. And so you need to look, uh, go to God with all of you and say, God, how can you use me in this way? And by the way, if, it's the, if, if you're not giving it all here at Desert Breeze and that's your next step, the campaign is successful. If it's you just getting involved in a small group or, or building a relationship closer to him, if that's God's next step for you, the campaign is successful. But we do need to raise money. It's gonna take money to, to build this out. I don't think God's gonna drop materials in the parking lot some morning and we'll just show up and say, oh, you know, we got bricks and nails and mortar and stuff. It's not gonna work that way. We have to be responsible. 
and make a plan. And so that's what we're asking you to join us in. And in getting creative to, to see how God wants to use you, like I said, don't just look at your checkbook. Maybe you can work some overtime and say, God, I'm gonna work overtime and whatever you bring me through that, that's what I'm gonna give to the campaign. Or maybe you can have yard sales. Or maybe you can look to your friends that might be influential or a group of people. Like we had this young lady who is in a volleyball team and the baby bottle drive and she got 30 baby bottles and she's gonna reach out to her friends, cast the vision and say, this is what we're doing this for and, and leverage those people that God's put in your life to do something bigger than you can do by yourself. That's what this whole campaign is about, by the way. It's us together, the church, not the church building, but the church body uh, will, will be what God uses to make these things accomplished. And so share the vision with people and see how you can be used in that way too. Um, let's talk about commitments a little bit. In the first, uh, when we finished phase one, we started phase two, and some people made commitments through commitment cards that we gave out. And so if you're one of those people, thank you so much for doing that. What we'd like you to do is restate your commitment on this. We're not asking you to make an additional commitment. We're asking you to just restate it on this because uh, there's some people that did that that don't go to this church anymore and we need to have accurate records. So let's get them all together on this. Uh, there's those of you since we started the beginning of the, um, this series that have already made your commitments. Thank you so much for that. Uh, whatever you do in this campaign, when you make your commitment, just start paying it immediately. So if you've made your commitment, just, just start paying. That's what we want you to do. Uh, but don't anybody who hasn't made a commitment, don't do that absent of walking through these steps. That's really, really important. And so um, that's how we're going to make the commitments on those cards. We're going to try and collect all the commitment cards by March 1st. That's why we're giving you some time to go through those steps. And so we'll do that. Um, it's an over and above commitment. Um, we, at the church, we have what's called an operating budget, and the operating budget is funded by general giving, which is your tithes and your offerings that you bring in every week or however regularly you do that. Uh, but we don't want you to take money out of that bucket and put it in the Dairy to Move bucket. That doesn't take any faith at all. Uh, this needs to be over and above. So that's the challenge, and that's what makes it such a God-sized task for us on a personal level. So understand that. Uh, but also understand we want you to structure it according to how God leads you and according to your normal process of financing. So if you can give once a week to the Dare to Move campaign, do that. If you need to do it once every other week or once a month or if you need to do a one-time gift, however that works for you, that's the way you should do it. We're not going to tell you how to do that because it's between you and God and uh, we're in this with you, okay? And so that's the, the structural part. But whatever happens, <clears throat> in Proverbs it says it a couple of different ways that many are the plans of the man's or the plans of a man, but in the end the Lord determines his steps. And another way it puts it another way and it ends with, but the Lord's purposes prevail. We're gonna allow the Lord's purposes to prevail no matter what happens. Um, first phase took nine years, yes. But we grew in so many more ways as a church in that nine years that God was preparing us for this season. And we know that he's gonna do that as well. So we can have plans to do this for three years. We're praying really hard that God would do that, but we're trusting him on, on how he works it out. We're not demanding how he will work it out. And so we want you to do that too, uh, not only on a personal level. And the last thing I'll say that uh, you ought to be doing and we ought to, ought to all be doing, and it's the most powerful thing, is to pray, pray, pray.
pray to our loving Father who wants to, he's just waiting for us to cry out to him, to ask him to move in our behalf. But we have to give him our hearts. And uh, when we do that, amazing things will happen because he is an awesome God. Okay? Absolutely. Good. Thanks. All right. You Pastor bet. Scott, let's give him a hand. Thanks. Good job. Awesome. Thank you so much. By the way, this is not for those of you that are newcomers here. This is for us that uh, call this our church home. We would like the opportunity to get to know you if you're new here and for us to earn your trust and for, uh, for that to take place first and foremost. So uh, that's important to remember. Hey, take a look at your notes. Let's continue through our notes here. We've got a great study. Fullness of life, full devotion to Christ are one in the same pursuit. I, I discovered that a number of years ago and it was revolutionary. The God's glory, my satisfaction... They happen simultaneously, that as I seek to live for His glory, I find an amazingly satisfying life. And uh, we talk about this full devotion to Christ and the fullness of life that He gives to us through a 5G process of discipleship. We've talked about it throughout this series. First week, we talked about a genuine Christian is committed to Christ and to a church family. So this is what it looks like to be fully devoted to Him. When you've been overtaken by His beauty and His glory, and you understand his grace, this is how you begin to live this out in your life. So a genuine Christian, a growing Christian, is committed to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. A giving Christian is committed to using their time, talent, and treasure to serve their church family. A going Christian, talked about that last week, is committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people throughout the world. And then we wrap it up this morning talking about a glorifying Christian is committed to living a balanced life of genuine, growing, giving, and going all to the glory of God. And so we're going to read the text, unpack these notes, and there's two questions we're looking at this morning. Why live for God's glory? And how does living for God's glory change everything in our lives? Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray once again. God, we are delighted to be here today. We, we love you. We love your presence. There's nothing we enjoy more than, than spending time with you and enjoying your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Father God, we know that, th that our, longing, our longing to be happy is, is a universal human experience that we shouldn't try to deny or resist, but should seek to intensify and nourish with whatever will bring the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. And so this morning we celebrate that the deepest and most enduring satisfaction, happiness, is found only in you, not from you, but in you. And nothing is more satisfying to our souls and liberating to our lives than knowing you, made possible only through the sacrificial love of your Son on the cross. So we pray that through the study of your Word, the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would teach and transform us on how to find our deepest delight in you, which will give us all the strength we need to endure life's trials and all the satisfaction we need to resist life's temptations, living more and more for your incredible glory, displaying your breathtaking beauty through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this text. Wonderful text. I love God's Word. And this is a text that just, uh, we studied this a number of years ago when we worked through the book of Philippians. Paul is, uh, he's chained to a Praetorian guard. The circumstances don't look so good to him, and yet the book, Philippians, written to the church in Philippi, is just packed full of joy, indescribable, indestructible joy that he's experiencing. And he kind of gives us a little bit of a a clue to why he's got this joy in his life, starting in verse 19, chapter 1 of Philippians, for I know that through your prayers, he's talking about 
the church in Philippi, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I mean, can you look at your circumstance and say, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance. This is going to work out for my good. That's what he's saying there. That's the Romans 8.28 promise that we have as believers. And then he goes on and he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope. So he's, he's about to define for us something that is, is a longing, a passion, a goal, a purpose for his life, which should be a, a passion for our lives also. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, now as always, Christ will be honored. The word honored means magnified or glorified in my body. What does he mean by that, in my body? That means that people can see it in my life through my hands, the things that I do, the things that how I respond to the life circumstances. The body is just the vehicle in which we live, so he's really talking about his whole life, being seen by those around him, that God is glorified, whether by life or by death. So he defines glorified in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's saying this is the longing, this is the passion, this is the purpose of my life. This is the purpose of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, He's defining for us our purpose, why we live. And then he goes on to, dis, to, to define it a little bit more because he uses the word for, for, it's connected. He's going to define it for us, for to me to live is Christ and to die, and to die is gain. To die is gain. In fact, let's, let's, uh, let's read that together aloud, okay? You guys ready? Let's, uh, because that's a great verse. Because this is kind of the, the heart of what we're studying this morning. So verse 21, on the count of three, here we go all together. One, two, three, four, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, now that's a good warm-up. Now let's do it with some passion here, okay? Like you really believe it. One, two, three, four, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, he's just saying, hey, here's my passion. My passion is to know Christ, to walk with Christ, to make Christ known in and through my life and all that I do, that people would be attracted to Christ through my life and also through my death. Why would he say death is gain? Because if Christ is, is, is life is all about Christ, then death means more of Christ. I get more of Christ. I die, I get more of him. I get more of my treasure. And then he helps us to understand that more. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So he's kind of struggling between living or dying. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, is that how you think about death? He's just saying, man, that's far better. I'd, to be with him? Oh, my goodness, my treasure? And he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue. And notice what his, so he's giving us really his purpose statement for ministry. So if you're involved in ministry, so not only knowing Christ, experiencing Christ in your life, but what are we ultimately trying to do in other people's lives within our circle of influence? He says, he says this, convinced of this, this is verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
So not only do I find my deepest satisfaction in God, I'm going to help everybody that I come in contact with to find their deepest satisfaction in God. So he's kind of given us his purpose statement. And then he goes on, we'll finish the text here, verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory, the word glory is that weight, significant, importance, you just go, wow, that God is unbelievable to cause glory, to glory in Christ Jesus because, because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord to us. So two questions we're looking at this morning. Why live for God's glory and uh, how does living for God's glory change everything? So uh, first couple fill in the blanks here. So why live for God's glory? It's what you were created for and nothing satisfies more. It's what you were created for and nothing satisfies more. Oprah Winfrey walked away from Orthodox Christianity when she was about 27 because of the biblical teaching that God is jealous. He demands that he and no one else gets our highest allegiance and affection and it didn't sound loving to her. Brad Pitt turned away from his boyhood faith, and, and he says, because God says, you have to say that I'm the best. And it seemed to be about ego. God's some kind of egomaniac. Now, I don't know if you've ever struggled with that, because when you say, well, why does the Bible command us to, to worship God and to give glory to God? Anybody ever struggle with that? It's like, he commands me to, uh, to worship him. Give glory to him? Because there are people out there that would say, well, that sounds egotistical. Here's my answer for that. God is the only being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is the most loving act. See, if I, if I exalted myself, it's not very loving. If I wanted to make this church all about me, that wouldn't be very loving. But if I make it about him, because he told me to make it about him, that's a very loving act from God to us because he is exalting for us when, he, when, when he's being self-exalting, when he says, honor me, glorify me, he is exalting for us what alone can satisf satisfy us fully and forever. He's inviting us to experience our deepest and most durable joy when he commands us to worship him. In commanding our praise, he is commanding the completion of our pleasure. That's why I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said that when God commands us to, to worship him, it's an invitation of joy unlike we'll ever experience in anything in creation. We'll experience that in, in the creator. And I gave you some cross-references here to help you to understand that. Romans eleven thirty six 36 makes it pretty clear. We were created by God, for God, to give glory to God. The problem is, is that Romans three twenty three says, for, for all have sinned, and what have we done? We've fallen short of what? The glory of God. And that's the mess we find ourselves in here on this planet Earth. We have rejected God. We find greater pleasure in creation rather than the Creator. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We find stuff in our life. We find homes and cars and relationships and, and jobs as more desirable, more pleasurable, more satisfying than God. And so what does that do? It says, for the, 
for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fail to see how beautiful, desirable, and satisfying God is beyond anything. And what that looks like is Romans 1.25. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. Now, by nature, we are worshipers. You're going to serve somebody or something. You can't exist. Now, listen to me. You can't exist unless there's something at the center of your life. There's something that gets you out of bed in the morning. There's something that's driving your life. And the Bible says that what often happens is that we choose something in creation over and above the creator, and it creates all kinds of problems in our lives. Eventually, it will. Look at the mess of our planet. All of our problems are symptomatic of man not living for God's glory. That's, where, that's the root of all of our issues. So you're going to live for something or someone. And what we typically do, because we're sinners by nature and by choice, we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. And so it says in, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. And what is death? We know that death physically is where our soul is separated from our body, but death spiritually is that we are separated from God. Like I said, that's created the, the major problem. So we're separated from God, but I love that verse because it goes on and it says, but the gift, so, so think about this. So the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He invaded our pathetic plight with his presence, his love. He pursues us. He pursues you. He's pursuing you. He loves you. You have no idea how much he loves you. Takes us to the next point. The apex of God's glory is the cross of Jesus Christ. The apex of God's glory is the cross of Jesus Christ. John 3.16. I'm sure you've probably memorized that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. We're going to perish apart from him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He didn't come to this earth. So God, God came to this earth through his son, Jesus Christ, and didn't come with pointed fingers of accusation, but with open arms to pursue us, to love us, to reconcile us back to the Father. That is amazing. That is awesome. That's unbelievable. That's the gospel. That's the apex of the glory of God, that the Son of God would come and die for you and I. That is amazing. I'm just kind of curious here uh, this morning. Um, um, any uh, fans for the Seattle Seahawks here in church this morning? Okay. You guys still crying? Because Darren and his whole family, they probably won't be in church for at least the next month. Okay. Was Darren here today? Okay, yeah, he was here. I saw him. But he, he had red eyes, okay? He's just, yeah, he's all puffy and he's just still weeping and crying. And that was probably one of the better games I've seen. And I didn't really care for either one of the teams, but I just, you know, I like a good football game, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. But, but what was amazing is the excitement that the New England Patriots experienced when they snatched victory out of the jaws of defeat in the last 30 seconds of Super Bowl 49. Wasn't that amazing? I mean, it was like, whoo. And then they interviewed some of the guys on ESPN this last week, and I, I saw some of the interviews, and they were, they were just still flying high. I mean, they were stoked. But their experience is nothing 
listen to me, is nothing compared to what happened to the hearts and lives of the disciples when they were standing at the foot of the cross and all their dreams and hopes were dashed to the ground. But three days later, Jesus came from the grave, conquering sin, Satan, and death, and they were never, ever the same. The excitement of the glory of God through his son, Jesus Christ, sent them through the skies. They gave their lives for this exciting message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about snatch victory from the jaws of defeat when Jesus resurrected from the grave. Oh my goodness, and I love the game, but I wasn't, I mean, I was excited, but not near as excited as I am for the gospel. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, and the gospel should stir up within us that, that level of excitement that exceeds all excitements. And, um, and that's it. The glory of God, when we begin to understand, he came to rescue me, and the cross, and all that Christ accomplished through the cross is the greatest event in all of history, the greatest manifestation of the glory of God. Oh my goodness, I never get tired of talking about it. I never get tired of celebrating it. And, uh, and so here's this next phrase on your, on your notes. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. See, that's the essence of the Christian life. I love that phrase. That was originated from John Piper, and we've latched onto it, and we use it a lot around here because it's, it's, it defines Christian hedonism. You might think, Christian hedonism, what? Is that, is, that, is, that a good, is that a good phrase? Is that a good title? Yeah, actually, hedonism is, is uh, pleasure is your God. Christian hedonism is God is your pleasure. And this, this phrase, this sentence summarizes it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's really what Paul is talking about in our text, Philippians chapter Chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, but in particular, verses 20 through 21, he's just saying, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want Christ to be glorified in my life and in my death. And then he goes on, he says, and not only that, I want you to experience that same joy. That's what he said in verse 25. And so God is most glorified in us when, when he is more treasured and desired then all that life can give or death could take away. And life gives a lot of great things. I love my wife, love my kids, love my grandkids, love my home, love my truck, love this great weather. I love all, the, you know, just so many things. Love my coffee. <laughs> Quad shot. Yeah, finishing it up this morning. It's good stuff. I love all these things. But I don't, you know, and I love that game last weekend. Sorry, Seattle Seahawks fans. That was a great game. But saying that, I don't love those as much as I love him. I love him even more and all that he's doing in my life. And when it comes for me to, to move on from this life, I can hardly wait when I can stand before my creator and look him in the eyes and know and experience the one who, who would rather die than to live all eternity without, without me. To have that experience, that's gain because I get more of him. That's, that's, so God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Um, how many have ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Show of hands. That's a crazy movie, isn't it? It's kind of rough. 
pretty rough, tough movie. Maybe not for all audiences. You have to use your own discretion. But uh, the acclaimed movie, The Shawshank Redemption, tells the story of institutional life in a gritty penitentiary. One day, a prisoner defies the prison warden and plays an opera song over the prison's loudspeaker. The main character, Red Redding, narrates over the, over the scene how that song transforms Shawshank as it echoes throughout the prison. You guys remember the scene? You guys remember that? To where all of a sudden the, the prisoners are all kind of stunned. They're almost kind of taken out of that very harsh environment. And listen to what Red Redding says. I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. I like to think that they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. What was going on there? Glory. It was in creation. But if there's something in creation that can do that to you, how much more the creator? That's my point. I mean, you've heard a beautiful song. You just keep playing it. You hit the replay, 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 because it just kind of, it takes you out of yourself. It's just like, wow, I love that song. That's a wonderful song. Or, or maybe it's just a beautiful landscape. You see, you know, we've got a lot of good sunsets here, or even sunrises, if you're up early enough to see those. But, uh, but any number of things. Your favorite food. Oh, my goodness. Favorite restaurant. There's, there's a beauty. There's something to that that, that kind of sweeps us away, that overtakes us. And, and the point that I'm trying to make here is that God is the beauty behind, behind every beauty. That every created beauty was created by him to lead our affections ultimately to him. And we're going to talk about it to be the last point here of the 10, the list of 10 that we're going to look at in just a moment. But, uh, but all... Everything that we have is a gift from God and a pointer to God to bring our hearts to him. So, so if this is true, God is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in him. How does that change our lives? It changes everything about our lives. It changes everything. When I live for his glory, and that's the essence of the Christian life, is learning to live for his glory because that's where I'm going to find the deepest satisfaction regardless of what's going on in my life. Now, this is how it works out in our life. Here's uh, number one, conversion. It changes conversion. This is G1, genuine Christian Conversion is more than agreement with facts in the head. It is an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites. So it's more than just signing the card. Okay, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. I'll put it on the card. Or I'm going to walk the aisle. If you guys know and you come from my tradition where you would walk the aisle, you know, altar calls. Or it's more than getting dunked in the tank, baptism. It's more than all of that. It's that you begin to have an appetite for God that exceeds all other appetites. See, that's conversion. Here's a life verse my life verse, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Now notice this. Then in his joy, he goes and does what? Sells all that he has and buys the field. 
Tell you what, a number of years ago when I encountered Christ, I began to understand all that he's done for me. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was willing to give it all up to know him and to experience him. See, that's the heart of conversion. I've never tasted of, of something, someone so, so good, so satisfying. The, his greatness and his goodness created within me this sense of wow and mmm. Wow, greatness, mmm, goodness, satisfying. And um, it is an, a magnificent obsession with a heavenly treasure beside which everything else in life is of no, of no value, really. And then it changes spiritual disciplines. What are spiritual disciplines? Yell them out to me. What are they? Read your Bible. It's what we're doing right now. Prayer, small groups. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's a whole list of them. And so this changes spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines increase our capacity to see him, know him, and to enjoy his presence as our soul's greatest feast. So it's just, you know, hopefully you didn't come to church just to check the box, okay? You just went, okay, did that. Okay, what else are we going to do today? Got that taken care of. That's off the list. No, 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 no. This is an encounter with Christ. This is to increase your capacity to experience more of him. First Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3 make it really clear, help us to understand this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that would be spiritual disciplines, one of those would be Bible studies. Some commentators would say he's talking, they're really talking about Bible scripture. So like newborn infants long for, for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into your salvation, check this out, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Everybody look up here just for a minute. One of the reasons why we neglect Bible study and prayer and don't hang out with other Christians regularly and you're not going to be able to get to that place just by, you know, self-control, trying harder, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It really comes in understanding and tasting of the goodness of God. You need to get a taste of his goodness, and that's what you'd, you'd pray for. God, I'm neglecting my personal devotions, but I realize the reason why I'm doing that is because it's been a while since I've tasted of your goodness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. That's what we need. Because once you've tasted of his goodness, oh my goodness, nothing's going to keep you from studying his word and prayer and interacting with him and hanging out with other Christians. And so, of course, that brings up the big fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Number three, fight of faith is a daily fight to find your deepest joy in Christ because sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with him. 1 Timothy 6.12 Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith because we have a big fight on our hands. We have our sinful nature, we have our culture, the worldview that's contrary to what we believe as Christians, and we have an adversary. And so we're fighting to find our deepest delight in him. In Psalm 51, 12, that's Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 is where we see David in his repentance He's repenting from his adultery and murder and all the things that he did. And in that, it's quite interesting. There's a lot of things that you can learn from that. But in Psalm 51, 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Notice the order. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It wasn't that he sinned and lost his joy. He lost his joy, therefore he sinned. We sin because we're not finding our deepest satisfaction in him. Because we're convinced 
we're convinced, we're deceived in thinking that we're going to find greater pleasure in creation rather than the Creator. That's the root of the issues in our life. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That's asinine. That doesn't make any sense. That it's in Him where we're, where we're going to find the deepest satisfaction in our lives. There's nothing more satisfying than God. And yet that's the fight of faith. And in fact, it tells us in Jeremiah 2.13 that, that sin is the suicidal exchange of the fountain of living water, Christ, for broken cisterns. That we would, we would choose something in creation and it's very fleeting and then we just exchange it for something else for the fountain of living water, God. And so therefore, I put this on your notes, Psalm 36.8, that's why we need to regular, regularly, and the way that you're going to win the fight is to regularly feast on the abundance of his house and drink from his river of delights, spending time with him, enjoying him, letting his love go deep into your heart. And then that changes the way we deal with money. Money is, is, uh, is you know, it's not our sense of identity. It's not our security. Uh, God is most glorified, and we are more satisfied when we leverage our money to alleviate the misery of the unevangelized, uneducated, unmedicated, and unfed millions. Well, that's what I love about Desbury's. That's what we're about. When we leverage our finances, our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, everybody here loves to, you, guys, you like to get good gifts? You enjoy gifts? Yeah. But he's saying it's more blessed. There's greater contentment and fulfillment found in giving than receiving. Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, you've heard 7 and 8. Let me tell you 6. Uh, this is a widely abused verse on a lot of uh, TV Christian networks. And uh, I turned on TV, I, I shouldn't do this, but I do it from time to time, I'll turn on uh, Christian TV and, and, and it'll almost make me sick because of how they abuse the scripture. And I, I'm sure that there's some good guys out there. I haven't found any, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. There are certainly, I just haven't looked long enough. I, I, I understand, but, but they'll use this particular verse and uh, they'll say, you know, the seed faith, sow your seed, sow your seed. You'll get yourself out of that debt by giving whatever amount that debt is to us and God will get you out of that debt. I've actually heard guys say that. It's just, it's malarkey. I won't use the language that I would probably really use in, in describing that. But, uh, no, I don't use that kind of language anyway. My wife does, but I don't. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. But whoever, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And this is... The two most significant chapters in the New Testament on giving, specifically, financially, um, he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. What is he saying? So he's talking about giving. So if I kind of like, oh, oh, okay, I'll give a little bit here. And he says, that's what's gonna, you're sowing seeds, so that's what's going to come back to you. It's going to be sparingly. But if you do it generously, and then he goes on, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I love this, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I mean, we don't even pass a plate here. That's the last thing we want to do. And you probably won't hear much about this campaign after, after this, these five weeks. We'll talk about it from time to time during the announcements. 
But that's between you and God. I mean, we don't, we don't beat the sheep here, okay? That's not part of what we do. We want to feed you. We want to help you. We believe it becomes a natural part of your life. That's why it says each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what kind of a giver? Cheerful. That, that word literally means hilarious. Isn't that crazy? It almost seems psychotic, doesn't it? I'm writing my check, giving a generous portion to the church, and I'm laughing. Oh, we're kicking down the gates of hell. I love this. I mean, that's, it's almost kind of like this is, there's major delight. After all you've done for me, God, this is just a, this is a token. You're living in the experience of all of who he's done. Because then it goes on. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So, I mean, it changes the way you even look at money. It's not your identity. It's not your security or significance. It's just, it becomes a, a, a means to an end to bless and to minister and to take care of your own personal needs. And God prospers us not to increase our standard of living, but, but our standard of giving. Now, if you're below the poverty line, obviously, he wants you to increase your standard of living, but, but he blesses us so that we can improve our standard of giving. And, and then it changes love. Love is the overflow of joy in God. So why do you struggle by being loving to others? Sometimes you have someone that you kind of like, ah, oh, I kind of despise them. Well, here's where you need to get to the root of it. Love is the overflow of joy in God, gladly meeting the needs of others to ultimately help them find their joy in Christ. So you probably need to get back to the overflow of joy in God. You don't have that overflow of joy happening in your own heart. And then you're going to want to meet the needs of others because you have your treasure. You just want them to find treasure in him. And I gave you three examples here. Ministry, Paul gives us this, this in ministry. This is his goal. This is my goal for you when you come in here every week. 2 Corinthians 1.24, not that we lord it over you. I'm not, going to, I'm not bossing you around. I'm not trying to lord over your faith. But I'm working with you for your indescribable, indestructible joy so that you can stand firm in your faith. And then, and then we've got missions, 1 Peter 3.15. Um, in your hearts, honor Christ. The Lord is holy. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. So there's this hope, this confident, joyful expectation. That's what hope is overwhelming your life, they look at your life, they want what you have, and then you tell them about Jesus, and then martyrdom, Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses, literally, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be willing to give your life, and that's that overflow of joy in God gladly meeting the needs of others so that they can experience that same joy, and then it makes a difference in our suffering, that's number six. If God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, then it's truer in suffering than anything else. 2 Corinthians 12.9, but he said to me, so, so Paul has cried out three times, God, take this thorn in my flesh. I can't bear it any longer. I don't know if you've ever been there, struggled. Oh, my goodness, I, how can I get through this chronic pain or difficulty or loss? And he's crying out, and God responds, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness, and then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness 
so his power may rest on me. And I, did, I do this survey a lot, but I've yet to ever come across anybody that says that I experience more of God's peace, power, and presence in good times. It's always been in bad times. How many by show of hands would say that they have experienced something of God in bad times that they wouldn't trade for anything? Show of hands. Yeah, majority of people. That's what he's talking about. Some of you are going through bad times even now. I could point you out in here. I look across this audience. You're going through bad times right now, and yet I see the joy of God in you. I see that he is better than all that life could give or death could take away through your life. I'm seeing his power being manifested in your life right there through suffering. And then marriage. It makes a difference in marriage. Now listen to me. I would not be up here today. I would not be pastoring this church if it wasn't for me understanding and God, God rescuing my wife and I in our marriage. We would have been divorced a long time ago if I hadn't understood this idea that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Because I, 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 I had a good thing, marriage. Marriage is a good thing. But I turned this good thing into an ultimate thing, tried to get from my marriage relationship, from my wife, what I should have been getting from God, and nearly wrecked my marriage. And so this is what I learned. Marriage is becoming best friends who help each other love Jesus more than you love each other because then you'll love each other sacrificially. And that was revolutionary for me. When I began to understand, we just need to cultivate and be the best friends. So she's my best friend. She's my, she, we, we, ran our, we ride our tandem, tandem bike together and she's, she's my drinking buddy. We go out drinking. <laughs> Coffee. We hang out together. We, we love hanging out together. And yet, in this friendship, we're trying to stir up greater appetite for God within each other. Because if she loves Jesus more than she loves me, she's going to love me well. And, and Ephesians 5 talks about that. And then, and then parenting. What is the goal of parenting? The goal of parenting is to produce responsible adults who love Jesus more than anything and therefore prepared to face anything in life or death. Now, when you guys, you fill in the blank there, look up here. Every parent, and, and, and if you're not a parent, you need to know this. Your job isn't to give your kids the best academic. I mean, yeah, I mean, you want to help them academically and athletically and all that, but I, I see our society is so jacked up. We put so much emphasis on that, and yet we neglect the spiritual. The spiritual is what's going to get your kids through the difficulties. Not that they were a great athletic star or they, they had straight A's. That's not what gets them through the difficulties of life. It's knowing Christ. Oh, and by the way, you can't give what you don't have, and the best thing that you can give to them is a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of Christ that their hearts would be overtaken, and they would love Jesus more than they love anything or anybody. And by the way, more things are taught than caught. Believe me, our kids know what's most, that we're most affectionate about in our lives growing up in our homes. If we talk about we preach one thing and do another thing, our kids see that. Where's your affection? Where's your heart? Is Christ's ultimate in your life? Do your kids see that? Do your kids want what, what you have in Jesus? And then Ephesians 4, uh, 6, 4 says that the dads are to take the lead in that. And then singleness. 
I messed up this, this thing. You're going to see how I messed it up. But singleness, don't be overly excited or overly disappointed about getting married. It, didn't, it doesn't read right, does it, okay? <laughs> that doesn't go right. I meant to say, because I wanted to kind of condense it down, so this is what I meant. Don't be overly excited about getting married or overly disappointed about not getting married. Okay, you guys tracking with me? So don't be overly excited about getting married. I think that's wonderful. You're getting married. That's wonderful. Don't be too excited. Have you ever heard a pastor say that? You have this pastor. I just said it. Don't get all excited like, oh! No, you should be going, oh! About Jesus more so than getting married. You guys know what I'm talking about there, don't you? Because you're going to be going, oh, and about two months into that, you're going to go, oh, what the heck was I thinking? Believe me, you have tremendous idealistic distortion happening when you fall in love. It's just, your brains just go right out the window. And it's just, just talk to a few folks that are married. They'll go, hey, let me, let me shake you into some reality before you get married. Please come here. Come over here. Let's talk. Singleness. I mean, this changes the way that you live your, your single life. Um, and so this is how it changes because Christ is the only spouse that can truly fulfill us and the only family, his family, that can truly embrace us. 1 Corinthians 7, 31 through 35 basically says this, so listen, it says, he's, Paul is saying, singles have less anxiety and more ministry opportunity. Praise God for that, I know that. Less anxiety, oh my goodness, I got married, then my anxiety level just went, Ooh. then I had to add a few kids to that, Ooh. It's like it's pegging out, and that's what he says. So, hey, listen, everybody look up here. Marriage is a gift. Being single is a gift. Those are gifts from God. We don't put so much emphasis on it. That's what he's, he's getting at here. If you don't develop a deeply fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ, you will either be poorly married or poorly single. That's the bottom line. Here, we wrap it up. Everyday life. Not just a life of gratitude, but adoration marks those who are aware of God's daily presence and goodness. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. They're gifts from God and pointers to God. So whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Listen to some of these stories of glorifying Christians. Watch this. Um, my name is Ricky Bills, and I've been going to Desert Breeze for about eight years now. Um, I'm really involved in the youth ministry. That's my, my main thing. I'm actually... Uh, a youth coordinator for the new Anomaly Youth Ministries. What I love about Desert Breeze is the, the feeling of connection that we have here. Um, every time I show up, uh, there's always people smiling and um, saying hi and shaking my hand or giving me hugs. And I love that when I come to church here, I don't feel like I'm coming to a building, but I feel like I'm coming home to my family. Hi, we're Ken and Joanne Boonsher. Uh, we've been married for coming up on 43 years, and we've been attending Desert Breeze for 20 plus years, and enjoyed it. 
living living for God, with God, is awesome because I've been on the other side and I've lived a life that was completely away from God. When we met, I was going directly from work to a bar, playing pool and drinking until it was time to go home and go to bed. And I met Joanne and she actually was the big reason why I came to a relationship with Christ. And when I first accepted Christ, I thought, oh, this is gonna be boring. But, but what I found is, you know what, there is no way I would ever walk away from God. Serving God is part of glorifying God. Mm-hmm. Um, we want others to see in us that we love Him, He's trustworthy, He's faithful, and He gives us opportunities to love others. That's one of the big things I think He wants us to do that brings glory to Him is when we help others, uh, whether it's growing in Christ or getting through a crisis through Christ. He urges us in, to use our gifts. He, he uses our passions to do what He wants you to do. And I'm not sure that God wants me to sit in front of a camera. <laughs> Christ is the hero of my life because he saved me from a really, really, really tough times and he just completely changed my life. Um, I was in dark places at different times in my life and each time he's just pulled me out and um, he dusts me off and he just, he just hold, holds me close and I just cling to him. And I love that um, regardless of what I do or any circumstances, he's just right there and you know, if I take my eyes off him, he's just waving at me trying to get my attention again. He's transformed everything in my life. You know, it took a long time of battling and trying to keep control of my own life, but once I decided that he was more important and that he had a better plan, he's just revolutionized everything, and it's amazing. A glorifying Christian is a, a person who loves God, responds, to his teachings, you have to be God conscious. Does this lift up God? Will this bring praise to God? You pattern yourself after him and you say, what does he want me to do? And yet we struggle with the flesh. And so to live that life that God sent Jesus down to live is awesome. I mean, we can never be completely like him, but we can sure pattern ourselves after him with our thoughts and desires. Living for his glory is so much more satisfying because it it just is so much different. It's, you know, you're waking up every day with a purpose and, you know, your purpose is to serve, serve the Lord instead of, you know, serve yourself. And it's so much more rewarding in the end. Um, and there's so much more hope involved. And, you know, you're not just living for just today, but you're living for you know, an eternal purpose instead of just um, your own selfish desires. We can glorify God in every circumstance and every situation by you know, living every day for Him and, and doing the best to just serve Him and tell people about Him and spread the good news um, of the gospel. I think that a truly glorifying Christian will do that in any situation, in any circumstance. I dare you to stand up and glorify our God. I dare you. If you sit in front of a TV and you're watching a football game, you're going to get all excited over it. And I think we should have that same same excitement when we talk to others about Christ. 
And in the Dairy to Move campaign, we're opening all sorts of doors through different ministries that we can through here at Desert Breeze. And without that, we're just a bunch of people that just get together. But I think all the ministries that Desert Breeze has just open the doors for different types of people to come in and see Christ at work in all of our lives. We dare you to make a choice to live a life that glorifies God. We, we dare, dare you. you. We dare you. Yeah, we dare you. We dare you. We dare you. We dare you. I dare you. We dare you. We dare you. I dare you. Good stuff. Yes. 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 Praise God. So I dare you. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. If you're new, I'd love the opportunity to meet you. You come up at the, at the end of our service here. I'd love to, to welcome you as our guest here today. And if you'd like to have prayer for any particular reason, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, we here at Desert Breeze have been witnesses to and recipients of your miraculous and amazing grace. 2014 was one of the biggest years of growth in our history, and now you are daring us to move to be more fully devoted to your Son, our Savior, and taking steps of faith in our 5G discipleship process and, and to raise the money for the purpose and development and enhancement of our church home to its fullest capacity. We know it's a God-sized task, but we don't have to overcome your reluctance, but we can lay hold of your willingness. You have told us in 2 Chronicles 16:9, for, for your eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are fully devoted to you. So we pray that you would unleash your power in and through our lives as we take steps of faith spiritually and financially for your glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Love you guys a lot. Have a great weekend.